0: So it's New Year's Eve, we have a nice gathering of people tonight, our retreat crew and some other visitors. It's quite lovely to think that there are people who want to come join us here tonight and seek uh Giri, coming here to chant, meditate, listen to. Dhamma as uh, you know, a refuge from what uh, might also be going on tonight. of so that expectation of reverie, uh, but also people acting in ways that sometimes are unskillful. Um, and uh, and not always in the best interest of themselves or others. It's a interesting time for us uh, in the monastery. Just uh, it happens every year that on New Year's Eve, it's just we're just sort of poised to essentially close the monastery um, to our usual daily affairs, um, change what our focus is from practicing with a lot of activity and work um, and also engaging in our, our formal practice, studying Buddha's teachings and we enter into a, a slightly different phase where the monastics who've spent uh, for many of us nine, nine months in the monastery and we begin to focus a little bit more on the, the formal side of, of our practice our sitting and walking meditation, dedicating ourselves um, to a little little bit different focus on our Kamatana objects, our, our sense of where our mind is focusing on. So for in the monastery it's kind of this New Year's uh, day, it, it can feature in the mind uh, quite a bit as just this very strong change in our focus and uh, what comes up is often a a sense, okay, this is like a three-month period, it's a very long period. Um, for formal practice, it's sometimes more than some people uh, will have in their entire life. And so we're, we're quite fortunate um, each year to have this this time to give ourselves to this, uh, this practice. and extremely fortunate there are um, nine there's a support team here with um, nine men who have decided to come here and offer their support um, service during the retreat and to also partake in the retreat with us I was just speaking with um, one of our lay supporters on the phone who's uh, contemplating monasticism, and uh, this person had said just how precious of a place uh, they thought Abayagiri was, just, uh, and um, encouraged me to reflect on that, so, yeah, it's not, it's not uh, a common situation, uh, a place that has so many good qualities, good people. Good teachers. So, if you know, I guess if there's anything to celebrate with reverie, we can, we can remind ourselves of the preciousness of the. Not only that there is a monastery like a Bayagiri in the world, but there's there's many. Many monasteries where there's this dedication towards truth, and understanding. So this this time of year is, uh, and particularly on this day, is a day where where people sometimes will focus on trying to change their life, uh, come up with aspirations, determinations, uh, since, okay, this is a new beginning. It's a new year. And uh, I think it's quite important for us or why it's quite important for us, is that it's, we don't have so many years. We don't have so many uh, times that the, the Earth is revolving around the Sun. And uh, so this, this revolution just happens uh, for some of us, 70, 80 years. For others, it can be a lot shorter and rare. For others, it can be longer. So we, we kind of see this as a significant time for, for reassessing, like, well, am I going in the right direction? Is this the right movement for me? Is, is there something I should improve upon? And so there's a, this tradition, uh, perhaps around the world, of, of making resolutions. What I wish to change, uh, how I wish to change my life, what new habits I want, I want to, uh, to have. And for, for many of us, this is, this is a very difficult endeavor because it, sometimes these resolutions can be made and then in no short time they're just, they're just given up. And that's because the, the power of our habits and those things that we um, wish to change are so strong that we, we sometimes feel we don't have the uh, ability to, to overcome them. So that this can be so strong for people, knowing that these resolutions uh, usually come to what they would consider failure, uh, that they don't even make them. And so I would I would argue in this way that it's it's more of like our attitude around the change we changes we wish, wish to make in our lives and the the way we try to do that uh, that doesn't have to. Result in in failure it doesn't have to result in a uh, or not being able to to change. So this this um, winter retreat time is it just happens to be that it's uh, it's a very similar it can have a very similar uh, sense for us that we're we're entering into a period where our focus on our practice is different, and so we, we think, okay, what can I do to really encourage myself? Uh, what are the things that I can put forth? Uh, what are the efforts I can make that will um, allow me to kind of aim in the direction that I think is, is better for myself? And it, it's helpful to think about um, resolutions People don't often think about, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to resolve to um, get myself, you know, a lot more drunk this year or I'm going to resolve to harm as many more people as I possibly can, just, just double my efforts on just really upsetting people and uh, I'm going to say the most God-awful things as much as I possibly can so that um, There's just this incredible sense of embarrassment all the time. So we don't we don't kind of aim in these negative directions. But even as as extreme as those sounds, sometimes we we make we make things that are the opposite. Like somebody who who enjoys drinking a lot, that that, that's something that they they do a lot, have have a fair amount of alcohol. They say, I'm not, I'm just gonna stop. I'm not gonna have alcohol anymore. Well I think that can work for a very small percentage of people. Um, so we have to really be aware of, of what it is that we're deciding, you know, and uh, how much we're taking on. And we're obviously wanting to move in the wholesome direction. So that's something that we can pat ourselves on the back for having that, that, that aspiration. Um, because that comes from a sense of knowing that I am not headed in the direction I want to head. <clears throat> as Ajahn Kurandamo mentioned last night, um, we have to be very careful about how we're doing this um, because the, our, our efforts can be overzealous at times. Or, as I mentioned uh, with, with New Year's resolutions, they can, can be rather slack. And so the, the Buddha really was, he kept teaching this middle way, saying, you know, it's not like you're trying to torture yourself or go towards sense indulgence, but also you're, you have to be careful about this the sense of how hard you're pushing yourself or if you're not doing, doing enough of that. I remember when um, the first winter retreat I was here. I served a uh, winter retreat in 2006. Um, and I had already been around the monastery for a few months. I was um, <coughs> crowned the kitchen manager, uh, which you find eventually is not a crowning, sort of commiseration. Um, but then when one has the right attitude, then it, it becomes an incredible field of learning. And I would say that probably uh, it really helped me in, in my monastic training, having taken on that position and also then working with the fact that it's, it's a position of generosity and kindness. Um, but but at the time of that, that retreat, it, it was interesting. It was, uh, I had already done um, some longer retreats, and uh, before I had come to a which might have sounded like uh, that was good because I had experience, but then of course that meant I thought I knew what I was doing, <clears throat> and I remember that that retreat. Ajahn was reminiscing about it, uh, and it was a, I think. It, at that time, Ajahn maybe or nine, eight or nine vasa? eight vasa. and uh, and he was he was um, the uh, he was left in charge, it's acting abbot left in charge, Ajahn uh Umpor Pasano, and Ajahn Amaro, Ajahn Santo, all the other senior monks were gone. And uh, it was similar to the amount of rain we've been experiencing, but I think it was even more. It was just this torrential period of rain. Uh, There was, I think there was one moment I actually was walking down the road and I had to crouch down with the umbrella over me uh, because there was just so much water coming down that uh, if I didn't crouch down, it was just going to be completely soaked. Uh, and, and I was surprised that the umbrella didn't collapse. But one uh, one night through this rain, <coughs> I was just pelting the roof. And I think it was a night similar to this. I can't remember, but I, I thought we had some sort of late night talk. And it was, yeah, it was like the truck was heading up and we found out that the road had collapsed. There was a landslide uh, and that that had come onto the road um, and I just remember it being in the back of the truck and it was just it was raining so hard, you know, the, the, I had to keep the, the hood that I had on like looking down, just there was so much rain and uh, we were going up to this, we were driving up and we came to this landslide and one of the monks looked to Ajahn Kurundamo and well, what, are you, what are we going to do? And Ajahn Kundalmo just he kind of made an expression of not being sure. He said, Well, let's just get these, uh, these uh, laymen here to just dig it out. And it was a massive landslide. <laughs> it was almost midnight. And uh, my sense of um, generosity was not very present in that moment. So there was much more. Uh, I mean, I was poised to just. Be really upset. <laughs> so I was waiting for Ajin Kurundamo's words. Um, so, was, you know, there was just this huge, it was going to probably take hours, I think, to dig it up. And we could, I think we still could pass with a truck. And uh, so just sort of waiting, I think others were kind of looking down, <laughs> really not wanting uh, to do what was being proposed. And Ajin Kurundamo just said, I'm just, I'm not going to ask people to do that. This isn't, we can figure it out tomorrow. And there was, yeah, there was just so much relief in that moment. But I, I, wasn't aware of what was happening in my mind. I wasn't, you know, it was so hard to get a sense of like, okay, you know, just the amount of ver- aversion that arose, the, the fear and aversion about what, you know, having to dig something out at, at a very late time at night in the cold and, you know, a lot of rain. Uh, and just not you know the the inability of to to use that for Dhamma at that point to really kind of be aware okay there's you know there's what i don't want to have happen right now and there's just the the sort of letting go of all that tension and pain and aversion and anger and so you know we these are, these are these things that we, we detect about ourselves and we want, you know, we, we often want to let go of, but it's very, it's very difficult in these moments. Uh, it's, it becomes very hard. And, uh, in fact, I I, I remember just, uh, must have been about two, three weeks ago, uh, I was talking to a senior monk, where I, I can't remember whether I was, I think I was speaking, and they'd, This monk had told me he was gonna just—he would made a decision about something. He had actually—he was gonna go do something that I um, essentially kind of felt jealous of, and and didn't didn't want him to do that thing. And it was just that that recognition, just in that moment, oh yeah, right. This is just this is just you don't. This is jealousy, and this is the desire to have something go differently. You know, I don't want it to go this way. And before that moment arose, it was just like, it was just clear in my mind that there was, I was completely right. And, um, and what, I was, what I was experiencing was, this isn't, this isn't correct, it shouldn't be happening this way. And I was justified in my jealousy, fear, anger, whatever it was, it wasn't even a big deal what uh, the other monk was, was talking, it was like nothing. <laughs> But I was caught in that, and, and it was so helpful to have that insight because it just immediately, like, just allowed everything to drop you know, just completely drop away. Because I knew that was, that was the voice of wisdom, that was understanding, that was a clear understanding of what the experience was. So often, our, our desire for, for this kind of change in our life. Um, it comes from a lot of uh, projection of what we want to do. So we have a wholesome idea of what it is that would be better for us. But we're not often experiencing that in that moment, like, like what is my current moment experience now that will lead me to understand what it is that's best for me. Because the rest is just, it's an idea, it's a projection. It's a sense of what we think is right. And it's pointing in the right direction, but it's not until we gain insight into our current experience that we can actually see, right. this is what is helpful, this is what's beneficial for me. This is what will allow me to let go and uh, realize peace. And so we're in a conundrum sometimes because we don't, we don't always have access towards that difficulty. Um, we don't have access towards that in our experience sometimes, so we're, we're often you know, coming up with uh, what I could basically say are sankharas. They're compounded, uh, the, the bringing together of, of different experiences uh, and, then, and then kind of making that into something that we believe is solid. It's just our thoughts, our ways of, of thinking about things. So, I think an example of this was like during, during one of these winter retreats I had, I was, uh, as Ajahn Khudamma had suggested, I was working with sleep. You know, how much do we reduce our sleep? So the Buddha talks about um, a schedule that a monk would be on, and I think it's like uh, from 8 to 12, you know, you, you keep striving, you stay up. Um, and then from 12 to 4, um, that's when you sleep, those four hours. And then from 4 to 8 is the next, the third watch. So I might have gotten those off by two hours, but basically, it's four hours of sleep. So we hear that and we think, oh, yeah, okay. So this is what the Buddha recommends. This is the ideal. So someone might do that and then they're. <clears throat> they're really pushing themselves, pushing this four hours of sleep, trying to do exactly what the Buddha said, because you can't, you know, he can't be wrong. He's got to be right. I remember trying to do that during a retreat, and um, I was engaging in a fair amount of, of uh, sitting and walking, and I just, I just got so tired throughout the day, just trying to maintain this Um, And I I realized that it's just not, you know, it's not, you have to start where you are. I could have really tried to continue that for for a long time and just probably been quite exhausted during the retreat. But that's not where I was at the time, it's not where my mind was. And so this this sense of, of practicing with just four hours of sleep, it's, yeah, it's a good idea but we have to actually measure it against what our experience is. And so often, uh, we just come from this ideal uh, of what it, what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. Um, you know, or we think that it's the sense of, of conceit that the Buddha talks about. You know. I'm one who should, who should be able to practice like this. I'm a good practitioner. Or, I know what I'm doing. But if we're, if we're continuing to fall asleep, I mean, all we get is just that, that same thing that the Buddha did. He was just striving without any um, wisdom. And before he became enlightened, he just was doing all of these uh, ascetic practices Ajahn Krundamma was talking about last night. And, and um, he did actually succeed in, in doing the practices, but he just ended up with a lot of conceit. You know, I'm one who can do this he said there's, there's no one who could actually, um, although others could m- match his aesthetic qualities, uh, no one could actually go beyond them. He had gone so far. Um, and so I, I think it's important that, you know, when we're engaging with what it is we're interested in changing about our lives, what it is we're interested in bringing up. For example, during these, these three months of retreat, we really try to be quite aware of our own personal experience without, you know, without judging it, without kind of saying, well, I should be one who can sleep for just four hours. And, and more use that as an investigation. Like, what, what do I actually need? So, what I, I think happened during that retreat when I was working on sleep is I started to, I started to say, like, okay, well, let's start at a higher number, you know, like six hours, and then try to work down. And so that, that worked quite well. But I never got, I think I got down to about four and a half hours on that retreat, and, and that was it. I just, um, that was the limit for me. Uh, and even that, was, just, that, was just, that was just the bare limit, it wasn't, it wasn't going to go any further. Uh, and at times, some days, it, it was just, I was, I was still tired from that. And in fact, I had, you know, I had to adjust my schedule, you know, do an hour or two of walking meditation in the morning. So, this was more of really trying to get a sense of, like, what's, what's possible. And for me, there was a measure of that. It's like, well, am I falling asleep throughout the day? And I could see that if I, um, if I started with more sleep at first and then tried to come down, then I could really measure that quality. And it was very much determined by how much sleep I was getting. And so I just saw, well, I don't need to push myself more than that. And that was enough. But then, but then when the rest of the year was going on, that, wasn't, that, just, that didn't work. I went back to being tired again. So there's just a sense of like what's appropriate, you know, what's appropriate for for each one of us, and for others, uh, maybe seven hours of sleep is appropriate. You know, maybe that's what what people need. Um, Maybe it's six, maybe it's five, whatever it is. It's something that we work with rather than coming from an ideal around what we need. And I know from like those who are working in, uh, out in the world, then actually there might need to be an opposite determination. I'm going to get eight hours of sleep because I'm not functioning. I'm, I'm bitter and angry and upset and sleepy and groggy. And So again, we, we just have to figure out where, you know, where we personally are. And that's only through our own reflection ar- around our present moment experience, what we he keeps seeing day by day, not from an ideal. <clears throat> Most of you know this sutta that uh the talked about last night, it's the um, or he at least mentioned the, the ideas around it, where the this venerable Sona, and uh, <coughs> when he was a, a young child, as a monk in the Buddha's time, his name was Sona. And so, when he was a young child, he um, he grew up, you know, with uh, not many problems in terms of uh, his upbringing. He was he was quite his family was quite wealthy, and uh, and he had um, these special feet, he had this little kind of very fine like hair on his feet, like almost more like a uh, fuzz or kind of something like, it was very soft felt, something on the bottom of his feet. So it was, it was sort of a, a strange condition. And I think uh, when he was very young, King sorry, had heard about this and asked his family, oh, I want to see this young kid, I want to see this child. And uh, So he did, and that was that. But but, um, he grew up, um, Sona grew up, and he eventually decided he wanted to become a monk. And so he did that, he asked for the going forth, and he went forth. And um, interestingly enough, one might expect, well, having such a lavish lifestyle, Um, you know, basically being able to not have any problems in one's life, just being brought up in a very wealthy household. One might not have that impetus to strive, but he was actually known for his his incredible energy towards striving. So much so that the the monks found that uh, there was blood on his walking path. He was walking so much and striving so hard, that uh, his the bottom of his feet bled, and this is not just because he had soft feet. He was he was actually really putting in a lot of striving, and through that amount of striving, he looked around and he saw his other uh, monk friends, and he thought, wow, they're they're doing so much better than I am. You know, they're they're so much more accomplished than me." And he thought he should, should just give up the practice and go back. To his lay life and enjoy uh, his wealth, but also use that wealth to do meritorious deeds. And the Buddha was able to kind of tune into what he, would, what uh, Sona was was thinking, and so he appeared to him, and um, he started to talk to Sona about this, because uh, Sona was, you know, he was quite quite distraught about his what was going on with him and the Buddha's. Um, <clears throat> As many of you know, uh, asked him about uh, playing of lute, and uh, Sona was very skilled at playing the lute when he was um, before he became a monk, and uh, so this became the, the simi- simile of the lute, and the lute is a uh, it's similar to a, a sort of like a. Crossing a violin and a guitar, medium-sized instrument with strings on it. So the Buddha said, "When you used to um, string your lute, um, were there times when you'd strung it too tightly?" And so, um, it, you know. And he said, "Yeah." and He said, "Well, how did that sound?" He said, "It didn't sound very good. It was too high-strung." And what about when it was too too loose? So yeah, that didn't. It wouldn't sound very good. I couldn't play it like that. And he said, so you, you found a way that you could tune it, that it was just right? And he said, yeah. I could, I could, when I tuned it and then I could hear that the lute was, was playing well, then um, I knew it was, you know, it was tuned quite well. And so the Buddha used this simile to suggest in his practice that it's just the same as that. If you, if you go too, if you strive too hard, you put that much, too much energy into your practice, then you're just going to end up with this sort of restless feeling, these this anxiety and restlessness. Um, and if it's too loose, then you're going to, you know, if you're you're too loose in your practice, just like the the lute, it's it's not, it's going to lead you towards slackness, towards laziness, wanting to give up. <clears throat> it's not until you've got your your energy kind of right in the middle of that, you've tuned it in quite well, uh, that you can really benefit from that way of practice. Again, this was that middle way. And so he encouraged Sona in that, uh, to practice like that, just being aware of whether he was putting in, he was striving too hard or he was becoming too lax. And I think the end, in the end of that uh, pursuance, I think they, it was said that he did realize uh, our handship. <coughs> so each of us has to know ourselves, we have to know our, our conditions, know what's coming up for us. And during this, this winter retreat, we have a great opportunity to experiment with that in a way that um, we can really kind of examine our our own minds, our own propensities, and try to be careful not to compare ourselves to others. Because you might think you know what others are going through, um, but you don't have their experience within you. You can even hear them talking about their own troubles or triumphs, but it doesn't matter, you still don't know it within. So, even people's words can't really represent to you exactly what they're going through. So you can really only know yourself, so there's no point in trying to, to really look at others and, and compare yourself to them. And, and the Buddha really talked about this, whether you think you're better or worse, or you're the same. He, he called it all conceit, just the same, because it comes from a sense of I am. And so we have to be careful about when we, in this comparison, or uh, we're looking at our own behavior and thinking, I'm just pathetic, I'm terrible at this, I I can't get anything out of this. Just like Sona, we have to look at that and see like, well, this is again back into this sense of I am. I'm terrible, I'm not right, I'm a failure. And then, of course, if we're not allowing that, you know, The question is, well, what's the problem? Why is, it, why is there a problem with being a failure? Why is there a problem with not getting it right? And we forget that, that we've created that within ourselves. We've created that, that problem where my meditation is supposed to be a particular way. My experience of the Buddhist teachings is supposed to be working out the way I had planned it. And we don't see that, right, this is just part of the whole experience that we keep learning when things feel terrible and, and uh, we're in a lot of pain and we wouldn't want to just give up. This is just, this is just another opportunity for learning. It's not that anything's wrong, it's actually right. It's right because it's what you're experiencing. And in the other direction, we have to be very careful as well. That, that sense of um, of thinking sometimes we're, we're superior to others. This is um, Epictetus who said, "It's what is the first business of one who pursues, pursues sorry, philosophy." It is to part with self conceit. For it is impossible for anyone to begin to learn what he thinks he already knows. And so we, we look at our own examination of what we think, and we, uh, this is where the Buddha really warns us about our views and opinions. Another thing Ajahn Kurandamo had mentioned last night is, you know, Why did did the Buddha really keep talking about wrong view? That's something that one can ask oneself over and over again. What is this right view? What's this right view he's talking about? And, you know, with the Four Noble Truths, uh, you know, the Buddha is really, essentially, when he talks about right view, is he says you see through the lens of these Four Noble Truths and that is where your understanding comes from. So he's, he's continually reminding us, you have to straighten out that view. You have to get that view right. And there's all these other views that, that uh, human beings have, that they come up with. And so we have to be very careful with this, because we often can have a view, uh, especially around the view that I'm correct, or my view is correct, or the way I think about this is correct. And it can cause a lot of um, pain and difficulty for our practice. It undermines our ability to, to understand the Dhamma. So as we're, we're entering this uh, retreat time, uh, I had given a, a reflection a few days ago saying that, well, It's possible to think of things as just, you know, these are, this retreat time isn't really different. And from an ideal perspective, we can say, well, there's, we're just changing postures, doing a little more sitting and walking. But at the same time, things are changing. We're entering into a sacred ground, a sacred space, where restringing our lute. We're figuring out how much we need to tighten it or loosen it. How tight or loose do we need to uh, adjust our practice? So, just like Epictetus was was pointing out, I think it's important to come to this time each year, uh, I think that's a helpful reminder, each winter retreat uh, just really remind us okay, how can I part with all the things that I I think I know and use some of the wisdom that I've gained over my time with this, the Buddha's teachings (coughs) but not really convince myself that I really know exactly what I'm doing This is called beginner's mind. And interestingly enough, if we open ourselves up to that, the beginner's mind is one that's interested, available, eager to learn. A beginner knows that they're a beginner. They don't have any doubt about that. It's new for them. And that's quite a helpful state. Because then it opens us up to seeing our blind spots where we assume, no, I know what I'm doing. I don't need any help. I can't possibly learn from this. So we're, you know, we're inviting that, that quality in, that quality of beginning again. And in that same beginning, then, we, we learn that we, we don't need to take some, such gargantuan steps. You know, when you're a, a true beginner, you don't think about becoming an expert in three days. It takes time. And I think one of the things that uh, pursuing this path as a, as a monastic has taught me is just uh, it does require so much patience. It really does require uh, a lot of willingness to continue to, to be with a lot of unpleasant experiences, habits that we wish we didn't have, things we wish we hadn't have said. But to continue to remind ourselves, well, it's, it's all okay. It's all, part of, it's all part of the process of learning. You don't have to be an expert in a certain amount of time. There was a, a monk who stayed here, a Thai monk, and he had a poem and I don't, the, the first Uh, line, I can't remember exactly, but it was something around the billowy clouds traveling through a pale blue sky, and every day I am a friend to myself. Sometimes we need that reminder. We need uh, that reminder of friendliness and kindness. Because we, we uh, are sometimes used to not showing that to ourselves. We say something that we regret and oh, I'm such an idiot. But that's not, you know, that's not friendly. think I should be more friendly, I'm such a jerk. And uh, we have to just be really careful of our our habits, our tendencies, how we treat ourselves, how it is that we focus on our practice or we see something as a failure or something as um, a triumph. Or we get ahead of ourselves and we have this amazing meditation we want to tell everyone about. And then, months of misery. That's all part of the practice. So while we're, while we're doing this, while we're, we're engaging with, with these teachings, we want to pace ourselves and have a, an awareness of the expectations we're going to have. And there will be expectations, this is, this is what the Buddha talked about as being dukkha. It should be some other way than the way I think it is, or the way it is. I wish it was some other way, I wish it wasn't like this. Me somewhere else happy, and so that's this dukkha that the Buddha wants us to continue to reflect on. This sense that we create, sense that it's not right, something's not right, and it should, it should be better, it should be different. I don't like the way it is. It's very simple, but it's it's so hard to, to get our minds around because we believe that that is uh, the correct way that we should see things. There's something wrong here and I need to correct it, I need to make it better. And so, as much as we can have uh, an awareness of that within our practice, then we can really understand our minds, and we can uh, begin to make advances. Just like I was, I was referring to that, that, just that basic insight. Oh, like, I just want it to be other than what it is. And when I let go of that desire, then I see that, that that's the end of dukkha. It's not the permanent end, but it's, it's a beginning. And as we're working with uh, our own minds in the monastery, we're on retreat, then we might uh, all of a sudden snap to it and realize that there are, uh, there are other people here. And uh, oftentimes our work, uh, when we're working with the mind, we, we think that it's these other people that are the obstructions to us. If it was just uh, someone else, I'd be happier this person to the right or left of me wasn't on the planet, then the whole world would be happier. So we, 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 we do the same thing with people and we get into these ruts and strange positionings and create enemies in our own minds out of just the things that don't even really make sense when we when we get down to it. So, relationally, as we work with um, our practice, it's, it's something also to focus on. How do we relate to others when we're silent, when we're not speaking? Someone might ask us for a moment, Oh, I, I just wanted to say something to you for a second. Can we step outside? Um, because there are others around. And you might feel, oh, I don't want to talk to this person. And right there, we you know it's this is this, this, this uh, perfect point of learning of understanding our own minds, or we hear something that is just so innocuous, and we make some huge problem out of it because of this sankara. We we've compounded something. We've created. Um, what we think has occurred, and so you know, I, I think one of the one of the most important things that we can do with trying to change our habits is trying to understand how we relate to others. And there's no better time to do that than uh, a silent retreat. Human beings are often interpreting so much from the body language of others, so you get to see that. But when the speech is gone, you you do lose out on a factor of like, I'm not sure what's going on here. And so then the question is like, well, how can you be okay with that then? Isn't it all right to not know what's going on? And if we put forth that that just well-wishing quality towards another person, then it doesn't really matter. If when we're, you know, we're relating to others in silence, we, we have a sense of, of doing so with kindness, then they will feel that. And if we do the opposite, it's a sense of aversion, or hatred, anger, then others will feel that too. And again, it's a very helpful exploration, sitting down for meditation. I can't believe he's sitting there and do oh, that. I couldn't believe it again. He's gonna to talk to me and I just wanted to pass the sponge. It was like not that big of a deal. And you see just how that comes up in your meditation. That aversion or misunderstanding. Misconceiving. So there's all kinds of ways that we can relate to our our sense of how we want to change, uh, how we want to begin anew. And in many ways, in many ways, we want to part with our our own beliefs or understandings about how we should do this. Uh, But we also want to acknowledge that we do have some understanding. There is some wisdom there to even want to aim in that wholesome direction. But the best we can do is try to examine this in our own minds, rather than come up with a list of all the the things I'm going to do, all of the um, new practices I'm going to strive for to become the perfect meditator and realize enlightenment at the end of these three months. Maybe you will, but maybe you won't. So these are just some uh, words of uh, advice encouragement um, for our uh, oncoming retreat those of us who are doing this after many times others this might be the first time and I just want to wish everyone best with this coming new year and if there's an interest in change then to do that with as much wisdom and understanding as as you can bring forth in your practice. Amen.